As you're turning to Second Chronicles chapter 31, we'll be there and in chapter 32 and then a little bit in Second Kings again today. <clears throat> As we continue our study through the Bible, we'll be picking up where we left off last week. And I just want to say quickly, um, I apologize. I'm going to have to leave immediately after I speak uh, today. Uh, my dad was admitted to the hospital earlier this week and is uh, just in a, a very rough way, and he needs us to be with him round the clock. And so um, I'm going to be heading out after this, so I'm sorry I won't be around to chat with you. I always enjoy doing that, but we'll take a rain check uh, on that. I want to say quickly, too, just sort of following up on something we mentioned, I believe it was just last Sunday, I shared with you how about a week before that, I'd been getting my hair cut and the lady was just sharing openly with me about how she felt about church. And I'm always, you know what, I, I, I almost enjoy being around sinners sometimes more than Christians because they're just so raw and honest. They don't know the language. Every time someone hears I'm a pastor, it's like a switch goes off and they start talking in these and thous and hitherto's and I don't know why. Uh, but, you know, I, I said to you last week how common that is. She shared with me that she's aware of a pastor in Easley who's been committing adultery with a woman in his church for a long time. And I said to you, it goes on more than you may realize. Last night at the hospital, there was a nurse who had been coming in and out all day, and I started talking with her, and I could tell she was carrying a big burden. Um, And I had a chance to talk to her for maybe 20 minutes before I left, and I heard it again, another story of why someone grew up in the church but wants nothing to do with it because her last pastor was arrested for child molestation. Folks, when I say this goes on all the time, I'm telling you it goes on all the time. And I said to her, I'm very sorry. The church is broken. We are broken. But we are trying. We're striving to um, honor Christ uh, the way he should be honored. And so um, I'm just telling you, there, you know, we tend to, I think, um, float in and out of here every Sunday and maybe don't think much of it anymore. This is just for us. This is normal. The love that we share in this body, the unity that we have, the, the, the vision that we share for what we're doing and why we're doing this is it's just so rare. Um, and so I thank God for you. Uh, I thank God for, for the elders of this church who helped crack me over the head and hold me accountable. Um, and I just I want you to know I'm proud to be a part of a church family like this. It's a beautiful thing. So thank you. And let's keep on, okay? If I get off track, you come drag me back. You promise me you'll do that? And I'll try to do the same for you. Well, I don't know if you have ever obeyed God and genuinely tried to do the right thing, but the results of that didn't turn out at all like you had hoped. And at some point, you begin wondering if doing the right thing was really the right thing to do. You try, you follow Christ, you live for him, and it just seems like life gets harder and harder and harder. We've seen how Hezekiah became king over the corrupt nation of Judah. He inherited leadership from his evil, very evil father Ahaz. As soon as Hezekiah took the throne, we saw the last two weeks how he immediately reopened the temple. He um, called the leaders and the people to sanctify themselves. He reinstated worship. He destroyed all the pagan gods. And then we're also told, uh, you remember his father Ahaz basically uh, cowered cowered to um, the Assyrian king, who was their greatest enemy, 
and took all the treasures from the temple and gave them to the Assyrian king as a bribe to say, hey, let's just be pals, okay? Don't hurt us. The one other thing we're told about Hezekiah when he took the throne is it says that he, and I quote, rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Now, everything that I've just shared with you is a picture of a man obeying God and doing what is right, standing up for what is right. I mean, he honored God right off the bat from day one, and he did the right thing. And so we come now to uh, the last two verses of Second Chronicles chapter 31. And it sums up all this great work that Hezekiah has done. And it says this in Second Chronicles 31, verse 20. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, and so he prospered. Now remember, in the original, there were no chapter-verse divisions. So what we call the next chapter, uh, chapter 32, verse 1, was actually just a continuation of what we've just read. It says this, after these deeds of faithfulness. Now look up here real quick. I don't want you to peek at what comes next. I want to see if we can guess what comes next. Hezekiah had obeyed God in everything he did. So the result surely must say, and he lived happily ever after. Uh, let me take another guess. Uh, after all these deeds of faithfulness, he had no more problems and battles and struggles for the rest of his life. Isn't that wonderful? Well, let's take a look at what it actually says. After these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, their worst enemy, came and entered Judah. That's where Hezekiah reigned. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. So let me get this straight. The, the, the leaders have repented. The people have repented. Worship has been restored. The nation has been brought back to God in an astounding revival. And after all these right choices and obedience, the fiercest army in the entire world at that time comes to attack them. That's not how the story is supposed to go. Surely we've heard the teaching that if you just follow Jesus and send $1,000 to this ministry, why, you'll get a check 10 times over in your mailbox, and God will give you that promotion and that new house and that new car. Well, God might. God loves to bless his children. He's the best father ever. But you see, we live, uh, we live in a world that is broken and destroyed by sin, and we are not impervious to that just because we follow God. Our lives are going to be affected by that, and sometimes, uh, can I just tell you, this sermon's not for wimps today. I should have said that up front, so I'm glad that all of you are going to stay here for this. Sometimes, God will place us in the middle of a circumstance or a situation that is so terrifying to us, that is so overwhelming to us, that we have no other choice but to run to him. God will do whatever it takes to keep his children close to him. Hezekiah put God first, and in the world's eyes, everything should have gone well because of that, but now he's facing the biggest problem he's ever faced. And as he saw the enemy closing in, I just have to wonder if Hezekiah stood there in the king's palace at some point and, and just thought, did I do the wrong thing? Should I have just kept paying bribes to Sennacherib and just, just kind of, you know, not, not rock the boat? I mean, God doesn't seem to be honoring my obedience. I, I just wonder if those thoughts went through his head 
And it occurs to me that some of you may be asking very similar questions today. I know where a lot of you are in life because you've told me recently, many of you, I don't. But maybe you're facing challenges that you never asked for. Maybe you are in the midst of trials and struggles that it seems you really don't deserve. And you're thinking, God, I am living for you. Why are you letting this happen to me? You need to know, folks, and if no one has ever told you this, I encourage you to learn this sooner rather than later. You need to know that sometimes God will bring us to the end of our strength so that we can discover the beginning of his strength. And I'm telling you, there's no other way to do it. We are stubborn creatures, and we are determined to make it on our own, to go our own way, to say, God, I love you. I'll call you if I need you. But right now, I'm fine. And so often we have to learn this the hard way. And in the midst of this trial, Hezekiah confessed honestly that he had nothing left to offer. He had come to the end of himself. He had been stripped of every earthly hope. He said that in in one of his statements. And it's only when we are stripped of our earthly hope that we finally put all our hope in him. So let's see just for a few minutes here what we can learn from Hezekiah's response. First of all, I find it very helpful to see this and to, for God to show us this balance in life. But the first thing we see here is that Hezekiah did his part. He did his part. I don't have slides for these verses, but it was just too much for this morning. But let me summarize what happened next in verses 2 through 9 of Second Chronicles 32. So when the Assyrian armies came and, and surrounded the, the cities where Hezekiah ruled, and his, his leaders heard about this, he gathered them all together, and they got to work immediately. First of all, it tells us that he sent people to sneak out of the city and to go upstream to the springs of Gion, where the waters flowed down into Jerusalem and the area. And he went up and he had these engineers go up and block that stream off. Because what the armies would do back in those days, you know, warfare happens quickly nowadays. Uh, What was it in the Gulf War? They said it's going to be shock and awe. And they went in and just blanketed the place with bombs. And, you know, in an hour, uh, it, was, it was almost over. Well, battles in these days could take years. You would have an enemy come in, and they would simply surround the city. They would cut off all uh, inflow and outflow, and they would just camp there. If it took two years, three years, didn't matter. They would stay there until the people inside starved to death or died of thirst or surrendered, which is what they usually did. And so that was the plan here. They came in, there were some fortified cities, sort of the strongholds uh, positioned around Judah. They came into those first, and they surrounded them, and they just camped out. And they said, we're going to starve you people out. And so Hezekiah said, well, if we need water, they need water too. So he went and had these guys cut off the flow of water upstream so that these Invading armies would not have any water to drink at all. But in order for Hezekiah's people in Jerusalem and Judah to have water, Hezekiah did something extraordinary. We're told this a bit later in chapter 32. It's looking back and it says this, 2 Chronicles 32.30, This same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of Upper Gion and brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Now, a lot of people say, oh, you know, the Bible is it's not true. You can't trust it. Well, for years, they just, this was one of those things. Well, Hezekiah's tunnel, who knows if it was real or not, until it was discovered. And you can tour it today in Jerusalem. It runs from outside the city, uh, under the walls, into the city, and comes out in the pool of Siloam. Now, here's a couple pictures for you there. There's one of uh, that's of modern times there. That's the tunnel. And then the next picture shows you water is still flowing through the tunnel today. So once again, the Bible just sort of sits back 
and uh, lets time tick away. Hezekiah also gave orders, we're told in these verses, to repair a section of the city wall that had broken down to build more towers on the wall. He put military captains over the people. And then it says, quote, he made weapons and shields in abundance. Now, let me just ask you something. Doesn't all of that activity demonstrate a lack of faith that God would protect them? Well, no, it doesn't. It teaches us a valuable lesson. Hezekiah knew that he had to do his part And yet he prayed for God to do God's part. Um, All the while, these people were doing their part, these things that I just mentioned. Hezekiah was reminding them, we're doing our part, but listen, trust in the Lord for the victory. And here's an example of that in verses uh, 6 through 8 of 2 Chronicles 32. Then he set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. Does that sound familiar from back in Second Kings 6, I believe it is? Elisha said that to his servant. When he looked out and saw the enemy army surrounding their house, Elisha said, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. There's more of us. There's there's more of God's uh, troops with us than with them. Verse 8, with Sennacherib is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Listen. I'm not going to dwell on this, but there's a very important lesson here. God is not going to do everything for you. God is not going to come down and file your taxes. He's not going to mow your lawn, although, if only. (laughs) Um, he's, He's not going to earn a living for you while you lay on the couch and watch TV. You understand Some people just say, well, just let go and let God. Yes, there are situations where we need to do that, but there's the practical side of life. I've seen people who lose their job, and a month later you go, how's the search going? Not that good. Well, what you've been doing? How many doors you've been knocking on? And you find out the guy's just laying at home playing video games, praying that God will give him a job. We see this beautiful picture here. When Hezekiah gets busy doing his part, he's continuing to trust God to do God's part. But then something interesting happens. In addition to this physical attack, Assyria now begins this psychological warfare against the people of Judah. And all of that is detailed in verses 9 through 17. Again, I didn't do slides for this. It's just... Too much uh, for one morning, but for time's sake, let me summarize what the enemy did. Day and night, again, this was a common tactic. Day and night, the Assyrians would stand outside the walls, and they would shout messages over the walls. This was your early social media, uh, to try and put fear into the hearts of the people inside the city. You understand, propaganda campaigns have been going on a long time. And so day and night, they would have people shouting these messages over the wall, trying to scare the people into just surrendering. And we see some of the tactics of the enemy here, and I think they're important for us to consider. First of all, we see that they slandered the leadership. That's number one. They slandered the leadership. They said, and we we see in these verses, they said, hey, man, King Hezekiah is going to get you killed if you listen to him. We've surrounded your city. There's no food coming in. You're going to starve to death. In fact, some of the things they said in there are quite gruesome to to read about what they said was going to happen to these people. And also in the account of this in 2 Kings, they said, you're all going to die if you listen to him. Now imagine hearing that over and over and over again, week after week, month after month. 
The second thing they did was they boasted in their own power. They said, don't you know who we are? We are the mighty Assyrians, the most feared army on the face of the earth. Um, the, the Bible gives us some details in one of the other prophetic books about what these people did. It tells us that the heads of their enemies were stacked up in their city to where people were tripping over them. These were gruesome, feared people. In fact, I shared with you one time that history tells us that small villages would sometimes commit mass suicide rather than to fall into the hands of the Assyrians. Now, these are the people outside the walls yelling over, don't you know who we are? No nation has withstood us. We've completely obliterated them all. And the Bible in 2 Kings gives us a list of some of those. And they're saying to the people, hey, you might as well give up. You're not strong enough to stand against us. Day and night, they heard this. The third thing, the third tactic was they questioned God's power. They started shouting out, hey, the gods of the other nations that we attacked, they didn't help those people. You think your God is going to help you? He's not going to help you at all. You don't actually believe that when your God says he'll save you that he's going to do it, do you? You don't actually think your God's going to rescue you because no gods of any other people have saved them from our hand. Day and night, these threats came over. These messages came over. And you know, those are the same old lies Satan has been using since the beginning. Satan is too smart to come to us and say, God doesn't exist. He's not real. Much too smart for that. No, in, instead, he plants seeds of doubt. Maybe you've heard some of them this week or this month or this year. That little voice in your head that says, do you really believe what God said? That, Look at your life, man. Look at what you're going through. What kind of a God would let his child go through something like that? You can't, you can't honestly think that God's powerful enough to bring you through this situation, do you? And Satan is going to use the same tactics on us. And so I think we can learn some important things about responding to attacks like this from how Hezekiah responded. A couple of points on how he responded. Number one, I don't know how to word all these things. I'm not a fancy, uh, you know, degreed pastor or anything, but I don't make all my points rhyme or start with the same letter. Uh, but here, this is just how I wanted to say it. Just know when to be quiet. Just that simple. Know when to be quiet. The parallel account of these events in 2 Kings uh, gives us an interesting insight. Right after all these verbal attacks started, and the people were now getting really worried, they were starting to believe it. And what do we do? How do we respond to this? It tells us in 2 Kings 18.36, But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Now, I want to tell you, we're just getting real practical here. Sometimes Satan will attack you through another person. There will be somebody who will bring lies and insults and criticism against you or against God, and the worst thing you can do is to fight back with your own words. Sometimes it's hard to keep your mouth shut, but sometimes that's exactly what we need to do. People like that are usually just trying to get a reaction out of you. They love to see you squirming and afraid and flustered and angry and fearful. The best thing you can do is just to let them see you remaining calm and at peace in the Lord. It drives them insane because they're not able to get to you. And you can find that rest in the Lord, no matter what situation is going on. Um, you know, we, we are told throughout the New Testament that Christ is our example, that we are to literally uses the word pattern of cutting out clothes, following the pattern. We are to pattern our lives after him. 
And there's no greater example of this than Jesus. Uh, Isaiah 53, 7, we know this, but listen to it again. He, Jesus, was oppressed and he was afflicted by people, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Peter tells us this about 30 years later, writing this letter. Old Pete, he's, he's thinking back on Jesus, and he says in 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges justly. What a great lesson this is for us. Uh, I am, this has been a struggle for me uh, in my early Christian life because I am a very black and white person. Um, I'm quick to debate people on things. I used to be very quick to try to prove my viewpoint on things. And you know what? I'm so glad years ago I was really struggling with this. And one day I just prayed one of those prayers that you, know, you don't know in the moment it's going to completely change your life. But I just said, God, help me to give up the need to be right. And like that, it was gone. And now I'm telling you, folks, I'll listen to people all day long and they can abuse me. They can say whatever they want. And I'm, I might say, well, you might be right. And I just leave it. Years ago, one of the men in our church called me on a Sunday morning in a bit of a panic and he said, Phil, uh, we've just seen that somebody posted a really hateful review about you online. How do you want to respond? Um, and I said, no need to respond. And he said, well, what if people read it and believe it? And I said, well, I'll tell you this. Um, anybody who reads that and believes it doesn't know me at all. And anybody who does know me would never believe it. So I said, just, just let it stand. And I said to him, you know, without realizing it, that guy is not actually exposing me. He's actually exposing himself. And so God gave me the grace in that moment just to, you know, not get in my car and go across town and clock the guy. But just to say, who, who cares? What does it really matter? Lord, I'm asking you just to just deal with this. Touch the man's heart. Know when to be quiet. So important. Number two, humble yourself before God. 2 Kings 19.1 says, And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Now I want to tell you, and we see this in some earlier verses, Hezekiah was a bold military leader. He had already gone over and whipped up on the Philistines and taken care of them. Uh, he knew when to be tough and stand tall, but here's the mark of a true leader. He also knew when to get on his knees and humble himself. Now, I'll tell you, in any area of life, if you ever have a leader who does not know how to humble himself, you better watch out. You better watch out. He saw the enemy closing in. He knew that his strongest move was to humble himself before God. What a remarkable thing. And while all that was happening, we're told that the enemy also sent a threatening letter to Hezekiah just to try to intimidate him a little further. And we see how Hezekiah responded in 2 Kings 19, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And that's the best thing he could have ever done. He knew that now wasn't the time to stand tall and be bold. Now was the time to humble himself and get on his knees before God. The Bible tells us this over and over again. It's contrary to everything in our human fleshly intuition. But 1 Peter 5, 6, for example, says, Humble yourselves 
under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, that he may exalt you. Attacks and threats and intimidations and lies and overwhelming situations in life should always serve not to anger us, but to humble us and to remind us of just how incapable we really are of fighting life's battles on our own. It should bring us to the place where we come to God and as Hezekiah did, you know, metaphorically, we, we tear our clothes, we throw dirt on our head just as a sign of, oh, I'm the lowest of the low. And God, I need you desperately. Some of you this morning, for you, that may be the thing that breaks you out of where you are and where you've been stuck is to humble yourself before God. You know what? I've seen this in um, uh, so many different cases over the years, but an example that we could all understand, I guess, is a husband and wife who once said, I do, who once said, I will love you forever, are now sitting in front of me and they hate each other more than any other person on the planet. And you go, how, how did this happen? And the problem almost always is that neither of them are willing to humble themselves first and say, doesn't matter who's wrong, I humble myself before you. And I want to love you and serve you. People are just not willing to do that. But the couples who are willing to do that, and by the way, if you're a man and you come to me complaining about your wife, just watch out, because I'm not a sucker for that, okay? I'm going to give you some hard homework to do. And the first thing is go home to your wife and humble yourself before her. Yeah, but she was, mm -mm, nope, no, no. You humble yourself first. For some of you here today, you may need to hear that. You may have been holding on to pride or resentment, anger towards a person or towards God. I'm telling you, that is the step that could break that in your life and set you free. You need to know when to be quiet. You need to humble yourself before God. And finally, you need to desire God's glory above all else. I love seeing this in this story with this mighty military man who had already gained extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary popularity with the people. He was dearly loved now by the people. Uh, this all could have gone to his head very quickly, and yet he is not out to make a name for himself. Watch what we see here. Second Chronicles thirty-two twenty. Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah prayed and cried out to heaven. Remember I told you that the reason we're going back and forth between Second Chronicles and Second Kings and Isaiah is because all of those books uh, sort of overlap each other. And then Second Kings gives us the detail, the details of this prayer. Second Kings nineteen fifteen. Just listen to this prayer. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, "O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim." Hmm, wonder if Isaiah had told him about his vision. You are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. I thought Hezekiah was the one being attacked. Hezekiah said, no, these people, Lord, they're attacking you. Verse 17 Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand. Why? Because we're tired of fighting this battle. No, save us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God you alone. Do you see Hezekiah's real concern in this prayer? He's saying, Lord, this enemy needs to be stopped because they are reproaching. They're trying to disgrace you, and I don't want that to happen. Lord, save us 
so that everyone will know what a great God you are. Reminds me of David as he was running toward Goliath. The reason he got angered that no one was doing anything was that Goliath was cursing the name of their God. And David looked around at these tough soldiers and said, Really? No one's going to do anything about this. They're just going to let this guy go on cursing our God. David said, I'm not going to stand for that. And he went running towards Goliath. Same thing with Joseph. When Potiphar's wife came to him and and tried to uh, get him to commit adultery with her, Joseph said, what are you, nuts? That's that's my version of it. Pike, uh, New Pike translation. He said, I'm not going to commit this sin against God. What a perspective that is. Listen, we are here on this earth to live our lives for God's honor, not our own. You understand how hard that is, especially for men. We feel the push all the time. Climb the ladder. Beat that other guy. Cut some corners so you can get ahead. You want that corner office. You want that title on the business card. Nothing wrong with being promoted. I hope you are. We should be the best workers in the company. But folks, we are not here to make a name for ourselves. You understand? The Bible says we do all fade as a leaf. All of this rushing about, chasing things. One day, we're all going to be where my dad is this morning. Laying in a bed, helpless, life fading. So what if we look back and look at the career we had? So what if we think about all the money we've stocked in our 401k? So what? Did we live our lives to honor God? That's all that's going to matter. 1 Samuel 2.30 says, Those who honor me, I will honor. That's a promise from God. Oh, it might not happen today. It might not happen tomorrow. But you can mark it down. Those who honor me, I will honor. Well, as we wind this down, um, I would just suggest there are some timely lessons for all of us in this. Hezekiah did the right thing from day one. He obeyed God. He upheld God's honor. He led the people back to God. And then it seemed like everything fell apart. And folks, sometimes in the Christian life... I'm telling you, because I love you, you and I will experience the same thing. Please don't buy into this nonsense you hear. It is an absolute false religion. I'll just tell you, I'll just tell you the straight up truth, whether you're ready to hear it or not. Most of the time, In your life, if you choose to do what's right and follow God, hell will be unleashed on you. (laughs) Happy Sunday, everybody. That's the truth. I didn't even, I didn't tell Mike what to open with this morning. I almost fell out of my chair back there. He understands. You choose to serve God. You choose to follow Christ and stand for him. You are going to fight the forces of hell. And they're going to come at you from a thousand different directions. There will be times in all of our lives. When we come to the point where we say things like, Lord, I never knew that following you would include my spouse cheating on me and leaving our marriage. I never knew that was part of the deal. Lord, I never knew that trusting in you all these years would mean a terminal report from the doctor. 
Lord, we, we never knew that being faithful to you would mean losing a child. God, when are things going to get better? I'm trying to follow you. And it just seems like things are getting worse. All of us, if we follow Christ long enough, we will all ask questions like that. And if we never do, I would submit to you, we better check who we're following. I love old uh, dear... Excuse me, dear old Lee Crandall used to say to me, um, if you haven't bumped into Satan in a while, it's probably because you're walking in the same direction. Jesus summed it all up this way in John 16, 33. He said, these things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation." But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You understand where our safe place is? Do you understand where our strength and our hope and our security comes from? I bet every one of you, if you're over 40, you have stories of putting your trust in something in this world and watching it fade away. And you go, wow, I, th- I thought that was pretty secure. I thought my job was secure. I thought my money was secure. I thought my health was secure. I thought my marriage was secure. I thought my children were on the right path. You can't put your trust in anything or anyone in this world. Nothing. It will all eventually let you down, including me. I will let you down. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You look that word up. That's not a little bump in the road. That's hell on earth. You will have that, he said. But I'm so thankful the verse didn't end there. He said, but be of good cheer. Wait, what? Be of good cheer. By the way, it's a great study to do through the New Testament. Look up all the times where Jesus said, be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. Listen, folks, uh, I want to tell you this morning, I know some of you are struggling with things. I know there's some health issues going on that are just weighing on some of you. I know there's family issues, financial issues. I know there are fears and concerns. I know there's uh, sorrow. All of that, all of that and more is represented in this room. But I want to charge you this morning and say, the Christian life is not for wimps. Get in or get out. We do not have time for people playing games anymore. The time is too late. The cost is too high. Jesus himself said, I wish that you were either cold or hot. I missed that for years. Jesus literally said, I wish you were cold. If you're not going to be hot for me, please get out. Just be cold. That's a staggering statement. And I want to charge you this morning by encouraging you, telling you that no matter what comes into your life, It's always right to be faithful to God. It's always right to trust him, no matter what. There are going to be attacks that come your way after you've been faithful to God. There will be. There will be attacks that come your way after you've done the right thing. But if you humbly put your hope in him, and if you desire his honor above all else, God will bring you through, and he will be glorified. Well, I close by saying what happened to the evil king Sennacherib after he taunted the people and mocked God. Let's look at this last couple of verses here, Second Chronicles 32, 21. 
Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So Sennacherib returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. By the way, history bears this out. You go online and search for uh, artifacts of King Sennacherib, and you'll see some of these odd-shaped stone prisms uh, that he had made where he writes. He must have been, you know, a writer. He's written volumes of things. And one of the things that they found was as he and his troops were encamped around King Hezekiah's cities, Sennacherib wrote on one of these prisms, boasting, I have Hezekiah caged up like a bird. But you know what? He never got to finish the rest of that story because God killed him. I want to encourage you today. When attacks come, stay faithful. When the the enemy intimidates you, stay faithful. When your health fails, stay faithful. When you're filled with fear, stay faithful. When you begin to doubt, stay faithful. When you're ready to quit and you're overwhelmed, stay faithful. Stay faithful. You may not get rewarded for it now. You may not see the results you wanted right now. But God will honor you in the end. And most importantly, his name will be honored through you. Church, I love you. I want you to know it is an incredible privilege for me to be here with you and do this. And I want to just add to what Mike said, or just echo what he said, just issuing a challenge to this entire church body to say, I want you to spend time getting alone with God and saying, God, revive my heart, purge me, do whatever you need to do in me. God, take me to that next step with you where I put foolishness, I put childishness, I put all these other things behind. God, I, I want to live for you alone. God, make me a bold servant of yours. Folks, I'm telling you, unless God intervenes, there are days coming to this country and this world that are going to test our faith like never before. Are you ready? Are you ready? I pray that God would empower us by his spirit to remain faithful, whatever comes. Let's pray. Lord, you see this church. You know it better than we do. You know our hearts better than we do. And Lord, I come on behalf of these sweet people today. And I just... um, put my arms around all of them, and I bring us all before you. And we just lay ourselves at your feet. Lord, do a work in us by your Holy Spirit that we cannot do ourselves. Free us, Lord, from anything that is hindering us, that is holding us back, that is filling us with fear, doubt, dread. Free us from that, Lord. Help us to find that place of rest and hope and assurance in you. And Lord, light a fire in our hearts. Give us a boldness that we never imagined we could have. I pray that you would raise this church up to be a beacon of light in the world in the days to come. Move through us, Lord, not for our glory. We're going to be gone so fast. Nobody will remember us soon. But your name will stand forever. Your word will abide forever. And so we ask, Lord, that you would, you would empower this church 
to do great things for your namesake through all of us little nothing broken people here. We ask you make your name great through this church body for your glory. And I pray once again, Lord, for all those here today who are carrying heavy burdens, who are so weary, who are weighed down. I pray for them, Lord. Fill them with renewed strength. Remind them of your presence. Wrap them up in your care. Strengthen the feeble legs and the feeble arms. Lift up the heads of those who are weary. I pray, Lord, be kind to them. Speak your love to them. And reassure them that there's never a day in their life, no matter what they're facing, there's never a day in their life where you are not with them. Lord, we love you. We give ourselves to you again this morning the best that we know how. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. to see